to bed, and it was one of those, I mean, sure enough, um, rainstorms that roll up a lot during the summer, and the, the lightning was flashing out the window, and the thunder was, was rattling the glass panes, and, and right about the time the light flickered, and the little boy with a little cracking voice said, Mommy, you're not, you're not going to leave me, are you? And the mommy said, No, baby, I'm going to be here all night. I'm not going anywhere tonight. And the little boy said to the mama, Mama, will you just sleep with, with me tonight? And the mother said, sweetheart, I, I can't. I've got to go sleep with daddy. Got really quiet, and with a cracking, somber voice, the little boy said, that big sissy. <laughs> two guys were, were on a... Two guys were on an exotic hunting trip out in Africa, and they were, they were hunting, and they were trying to find game. And, and as they were walking, these two guys were standing there, and out in front of them walked a ferocious lion. They've read all the books, though. They've read all the books. And they're standing there, and one kind of talks to the other without moving his mouth a whole lot. He says, remember what the book says. Make eye contact and don't move. The other hunter said to the one who just spoke, and said, I know what the book said, but do you think the lion knows <laughs> what the book says? Sometimes fears meet us, and we don't really know how to act. Sometimes fear comes upon us, and, and where we have gotten off and kind of where we've derailed at points is, is we think God's design for us is that we will never go through a trial, that we'll never face tribulation, that we'll never have a bad day. And if that's how you've kind of stapled your faith together, then you're in for an awful lot of disappointment. Remember they killed Jesus on a cross. Remember Peter traditionally is spoken that he was killed on a cross as well, but he didn't want to go out like Jesus. He wanted to go out upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way Christ did. All the disciples except for the gospel writer John were murdered. And before you think John got away escape free, they cut off his tongue and they sent him to the island of Patmos, which is not like Jamaica. And that's where he was until he died. Being a believer, we must be acquainted with grief. We must be acquainted with fear. Although the scriptures will call us, do not fear. In fact, Isaiah tells us, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. As people of faith, we must be aware of danger, but yet we must allow our faith to overcome. In Matthew chapter 14, if you've got your copy of God's Word, go with me there. In Matthew chapter 14, we, we, it's an incredible chapter of Scripture. Jesus does some things. Jesus finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded in the beginning of the chapter, and it's an emotional thing for him as he loved John the Baptist. And then he, he, he escapes the people because at this point, the Messianic secret is out. People know that Christ is the Messiah. They are flocking to him. Um, but to see what he's going to do next, Jesus became kind of a spectacle. While many people were seeing him as Lord, other people were looking at him as some kind of circus show that they couldn't wait to see what he did next. So, so he's bringing crowds and he's bringing people and, and he feeds 5,000. If you get down 
um, to like verse 21, you see that he fed 5,000 men and they weren't counting the women and the children. So Jesus just fed close to 8,000 people and people are looking at him and he, he took food up and it was a whole crazy thing. And then he, he gets his men in the boat and he says, go. When we pick up in Matthew verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, because they had just finished eating, it was getting dark. And after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up to the mountains by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost! Exclamation point right there. That's how you read that. <laughs> they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart for it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and he said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you and come on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the winds, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, and he took hold of him, saying, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Jesus is, is teaching his, his disciples here a couple of things. He wants them to trust in the midst of danger. He wants them to trust no matter the outcome, no matter, no matter the doubt, no matter the fear. He is, he is urging them to trust in who he is. As modern evangelicals, we like to trust in the things that we know. As contemporary believers, we like to trust in what we know is a sure thing. We like to trust. So I've said this before. This, it's really a great example of how we operate, and it's probably a poor reality of how we operate. I'm a big guy. I have a mirror, like, right? So I don't, like, you're not going to come up to me like, hey, you know, you're kind of heavy. And me be like, what? <laughs> Part of being a big guy, you got big, big guy problems. Like, some of you have antique furniture in your home. Like, I've, I've come to visit you, and you like, have a seat. And there's times I look at a chair and go, mm-mm. Mm -mm. That thing's 120 years old, and, 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 and 275 fits to wear it out. Like, you tracking? Like, it's not, like, it's like I'll go, I kind of give it a test, and I want to know before I'm sitting in something that it's, I'm not going to pick myself off, off the floor and make an excuse of why that 120-year-old chair is in pieces. We like to know what's, what's out there, but the problem is that's not faith. Faith is, is the absence of a surety. Faith is not something that you can bet on. Faith is not something that you gamble with because you don't know. Faith is not seen. You can't see it. It's stepping out knowing, knowing or not knowing what's underneath you, but knowing and trusting that God is going to be who he says he's going to be. As Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's walking across the water, he wants his disciples to see a couple of things. He, he first wants them to see that God is sovereign over everything. 
He wants to be that God is sovereign over everything. You don't just walk across the sea. Like, I, anybody ever tried that? Like, when you were a kid, like, we had a, a pool growing up, and I would, I would get on the side of the pool, and, and like, I was a pagan, and this proves it, right? Um, I would run real fast, thinking if I just picked my feet up real fast off the water, I wouldn't sink. That made it one step, right? Blagoomp, right? Like I've tried, it doesn't work. No matter how much you think, no matter how much you try, you're going to sink. God's sovereignty is displayed that even the molecules of the water, the molecules of the water are under his order. Meaning when God spoke to the water, he said, I'm, I'm walking out. The water held his weight. Water held his weight. And there's, listen, you can read, there's a lot of great theories um, about this, and, and I love them because they're just silly. Um, I read an article this week that, that Jesus actually didn't walk across the water. There was a sandbar that went six miles out, which is incredible that Jesus knew where the sandbar is. Like, he knew right where it was to walk out. And then I heard, well, it wasn't a sandbar. There was, there was stones strategically. That word will get you everyone. Strategically. Strategically. I speak for a living. Place throughout the Sea of Galilee, and Christ knew exactly where every stone was. And I'm like, so not only can Jesus see all things, he can see in the water. Like, you're, you're not debunking my theology by, by coming up with these lame excuses. I don't believe any of them are true um, because I, I've seen pictures of the Sea of Galilee, and there's not steps two feet apart all the way across the thing. Um, Jesus defied Gravity. He defied logic. He defied molecular science. And he walked across water. He wants us to see his power. He wasn't some ordinary guy. He wasn't some guy just out of Bethlehem who had an idea that he was just going to be God. When Jesus walked on water, the water held him. He's displaying his power to his disciples. They just saw him feed seven, 8,000 people, depending on how many women and children you want to guess were there. Um, we just saw that, and now he, he's showing them that I'm not just a buffet. I'm, I'm not just somebody who could come meet your needs. I want you to see I am the most powerful thing you've ever experienced. Your mind cannot contain the authority of Christ. Your mind cannot uh, uh, contain all that he's able to do, he is unfathomable. He's undescribable. We've never seen this before. We haven't seen it since that Jesus was breaking the barriers of what people thought God was going to be about. He wanted them to see he's sovereign. Science, he didn't have to obey the laws of science. He was able to bend them because he created them. He wanted to see that he, they were Jesus was interceding for his disciples. I want to see that, that he wasn't just walking up to them. He, wasn't, he didn't just miss the boat. All of this was intentional, and he's making preparation for them. He is preparing them to see something that's going to strengthen their faith. It's going to help because even though, listen, and you and I can get caught here, even though we see God do th big things, we, we've seen God Heal when, when we prayed for healing. We've seen God do things when we didn't think he could do it. And yet we still come to the table often doubting at the next trial. We still come. We've seen him move mountains. And yet we will, we will get before him again with, with this itty bitty small issue. And we just, we doubt. The disciples at this point had been with Jesus about a year and a half. 
They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him feed thousands with a little boy's lunchbox. They've seen him cast out demons. They're fixing to see it again. And yet, they're still not confident in who he is. They're still not sold out. In fact, it'll only be in the resurrection that they truly believe that he is who he claimed to be. Why does it take us so long to sell out to the Lord? You've prayed over things and God's intervened. You've seen the hand of God at work. You've seen God do some incredible things, and yet we'll come to a trial, we'll come to an issue, we'll come to a dark moment in our life, and we completely shatter. When God's been faithful all along. When God's been faithful all along. See, sometimes God will tell the wind to shh. Sometimes God will tell the believer to shh. Either way, he's bringing calm. It may not be to the wind, but it'll be to your heart. He wants them to see. He's making intercession for them, but he's also present with them. He, he tells them that he, they see him walking. It's a ghost. Woo! Listen, and we want to blame the disciples for their lack of faith. But if you and I are out on Lake Gunnersville and we're fishing, and, and we look down at the death finder and it says we're at you know, 29, 30 feet, and the brother comes walking up to the boat, that's probably going to be our reaction too. Like We're probably not going to be like, oh, look, it's Jesus. Like, we're probably not. What is that? Shoot it! Right? Because we're in Alabama and everybody has guns. <laughs> and yet, Jesus is present with them. He says, he says I mean, oh, it's me. It's me. And remember, the boat's shaking. They're tired. They've had a busy day. Like, if you've ever waited on 5,000 people, you've had a rough day. They're tired. But Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm present with you. I'm here. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of this storm that you didn't know was coming, but Christ had the ability to send and to stop, he says, I'm present with you. For the life of the believer, isn't it good news to know in the midst of our trials, Christ is present? In the midst of our storms, when we don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, when we can't fathom having to take another breath in our reality that Jesus is there, and not only is he there, but he's present and he's concerned. So Peter, you know Peter, Peter's like, I'm not going to let this moment get by without my name being written down. So he's like, Lord, if that's really you, call me out there. Now, I don't know what Peter drank before he got on the boat. <laughs> but what I do know is that Peter had a unique faith in Christ. Peter had a unique ability to be able to look at God at who he was. Remember, he's the guy that in a couple of chapters when when. When Jesus asked him, who do the people say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, son of the living God. That guy says, Jesus, if that's really you out there, and Jesus is walking on the water, getting closer, he says, call me out. Call me out. And what does Jesus say? He says, come on. Come on. Now for Peter, I imagine him stepping over the boat. It wasn't a huge raft, wasn't a freight liner, wooden boat. He goes to step over. Now remember, all the disciples were acquainted with fishing. They all knew that trade well. Peter's jumped out of a boat before. Peter's jumped out and went spagoop before. This time was going to be different. I can only imagine as Peter lifted his weight down onto the water and felt resistance. 
And he turned around, and there's Jesus, and he starts walking towards him. See, for Peter, yeah, this is a miracle. Peter is displaying his faith in God. He's displaying his trust in the Lord. He, he, he's saying, Lord, if that's you, call me out there. Come on. Peter knew that he was going to have a Christ-like experience when he hit the water. He knew that he wasn't, he wasn't just going to fall down and be fish bait. He was trusting that God is who God declared to be. He was trusting that, you know what, I, I, this is scary, it's unheard of, no one's ever done it before, I'm looking at the first example, I don't know what this is going to be like, I am trusting that the Lord's going to be present with me every step I take, and I'm not going to sink. And as he put one foot in front of the other, he got to experience the fullness of God's provision, the fullness of God's providence. He got to experience the full grace of Jesus being poured out onto him. And as long as he stayed focused on the prize, as long as he stayed focused on Christ, he was above the water. But you remembered Christ has not quite quieted the waves yet. Christ has not told the wind to shh yet. So in the midst of this wonderful moment where, where Jesus and Peter are defying science, Peter looks down. Peter looks down. And what's he see? He sees the waves crashing against him. He looks across and he realizes that he's miles from land. The wind is just howling. The boat's rocking. And he allowed, he allowed the parameters around him to scare him. He allowed all of the noise around him to terrify him. He allowed all that he couldn't defy. He allowed all of that that was happening to control his next reaction. And it says when he became unfocused on Christ, when he lost his attention or when it was broke by his circumstances, it says he began to sink. He began to sink. Some of you have sunk in real life. Some of you are, are walking through weighty things that have, have entangled you and, and you've lost perspective on the Lord. You've lost your vision on the Lord and you begin to sink. The beautiful part about who Christ is is that even though Jesus looks at him, and you have to think, if Jesus is like I am, he looks at Peter and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Scientists will study this because no man's ever been able to do it since you, and yet you're looking down at the water. You looked at the waves. You look back at the boat. You look back at the shore. Why don't you just keep looking at me? Like I'm the guy that goes, well, hey, you, you sunk. Jesus, Jesus looks at Peter. Peter cries out back to the Messiah and says, save me. Save me. Because in the midst of trouble, Peter knew his only hope. Nobody was throwing him a life jacket. Nobody's throwing him a preserver. He, he knows he can't swim it. He looks at the only one who's able and he says, save me. Save me. My lack of faith has gotten me in a predicament, and I need you, God. I need you to save me. And it says that Christ moved. Jesus reached out, and he saved him. And as they're walking back to the boat, that gets me every time. Like, 
picks him back up, and they're walking across the ocean like it's concrete. He says, they get back in the boat, and he tells the wind to shh. The wind shh, and the waves stopped. And it says, those, those who were there, those who were in the boat, they began to worship. See, for Peter, for just a brief moment, he realized how amazing of a thing he was doing. And his strength went back to himself. His strength went back to himself. He thought, look, look at what I'm doing. He forgot that Christ was wanting them to see that our strength is not in our own ability. If, again, if you go home today and you're going to look at your pool or the lake and go, I'm going to test this thing out, you're going to get wet. You're going to the bottom. Peter's ability to forego scientific law was not on his own strength, but it was based off the power of the Messiah. He wanted him to see. But he also was portraying some things. He was also portraying some things. Jesus wanted his disciples to see that what matters most is not the measure of your faith. Now we can look, we can look at this and we can go, where were the other disciples? Like, how come Peter went across and the other one sat there like, like knots on a log? How come they all didn't say, where, where am I at? How come I didn't dive in? We, we, when we start doing that, we begin to measure ourselves versus other people. And you can normally find somebody who's worse off in their faith than you are. And when we start looking around for measuring devices on our planet, what we can become is satisfied in our own placing. What we can do, we can become satisfied because we've, we've done this before. I know I didn't get it all together, but I'm better than such and such. And maybe you've never said that, you've thought it. I know I, ain't, I, know I don't go to church every week, but you know, oh, Billy Bob hasn't been there since the 70s. I know, I, I know I'm not giving like I should be, but I tell you what, I gave more than old John did. When you start comparing yourselves to the people around you and not to a holy, sovereign Christ, you may like how you measure. But when we use Jesus as our measuring stick, we always come up short. Look at your neighbor and say, you come up short. Well, some of y'all like that. Some of y'all, some smiles broke out. You, you like that. No, go home and say that again. Man, don't say that to your wife on the way home. I'm not feeding you lunch, all right? We like to think and we like to measure ourselves to other people and think, hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. I look, at, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm, or my kids are not doing this, or my kids are doing this, and we're okay. We're, we're fine. But our measuring device is never us. Our measure of our faith has never been built inward. It's always been outward. In fact, Jesus wasn't looking at the other 11 who were sitting in the boat and go, where were you idiots at? He didn't say that. He wasn't. That's not what he was trying to teach. What he wanted them to see what is not, it's not the measure of your faith that Christ is worried about. It's the object of your faith that Christ is worried about. He isn't looking at how developed you are, going, going, well, you know, you're okay this week. He doesn't want that because when when we have a mark that if we get here we can be satisfied, then, then we'll always just be satisfied. But when we're not focused on our measurements, but we're focused on the object, we'll never be satisfied. We'll never be satisfied. We'll want more of Christ. And when you get more, you want more. Her lady tell me, Jesus is like chocolate. Once you taste him, you want all of it. Well, I don't know about that, but 
our object. What is the object of your heartbeat? What's the object of your faith? Because here's what we'll do. We'll put church as the object. We'll put serving as the object. We'll put membership as the object or Sunday school or small groups or some of our service programs or a ministry outlet. We'll we'll say this is the object of our faith. And when we do those things, we become vain in our work because Christ never called us to be church members. Christ never called us to be people that have our names written down in an earthly book. He's called us to follow him. And when Christ is the object of our faith, when he's the very nucleus of who we are, when he's the very center of our being, then we're well. We're well. But if we get our eyes off of Christ, if we get our eyes off of of what's the most important thing before us, then we sink. We start slipping away from where God has placed us. Jesus will be the peace around you. Jesus will be what we studied a couple of weeks ago when we looked at at Psalms 23. In In the darkest of the valley, we have assurance in knowing that Christ is with us. When the life wages, when storm wages against you, Jesus is saying, I'm your peace. Yeah, the waves are knocking you around. The boat's unsteady. The winds are howling. But you as a believer have the ability to go in the midst of all of this. We're okay because Christ holds tomorrow. We're okay because no matter what the world sends at me, I've got King Eternal on my side. We're okay because because no matter what the prognosis is, no matter what the doctors say, no matter who's standing in front of you, Christ reigns and he rules. We don't have to fear the storm. We don't have to fear the storm. We have to have Christ as our object. We have to have Christ as our nucleus. Let him be your center So what does this mean for us? As we read this text and we see all that Matthew 14 calls us to be about, we see that that Christ is calling his disciples for action. He, He wants them to be... He didn't look at Peter when Peter said, Lord, I want to come out there. I want to come to you. I want to be right there where you are. He didn't look at him and go, Peter, you're a fool. If you come out here, you're going to sink. I know that. He didn't tell him that. He embraced him. You know, God wired you to be you. Isn't that scary? Some of you know you, and that makes it real scary, right? Like, God called you to be you, meaning he created you to be just like you are. Now, now he didn't create you for sin, so if you're, like, entangled in that, don't go home today and be like, you know, Jeff said Christ gave me this sin. No, he didn't. That's on you. Christ made your personality the way you are. He knew Peter was going to say, let me come out there. He didn't chastise him for that. He knew the other disciples were going to be in the boat. He he didn't get on to them for that. He's calling you to action. Wherever God's placed you, he says, do it. Get there. Serve well, but keep the object the object. Allow the strength of Christ to be what keeps you going. 
He wants them to know that Christ is our strength. What will define us, what will defy us from worldly living is not your strength. I don't care how many Sunday school classes you've been to. I don't care how many small group sessions you were at. I don't care how much you're tithing. I don't care how many times a week you're here. Your strength will fail you. Never let your strength be your driving force, but allow Christ and his strength to be enough that you can live. For some of you, it's time to get out of the boat. For some of you, it's time to get out of the boat. God's called you to do things. He's given you the ability. He's equipped you. He's given you the personality. And he says, it's time to move. It's time to move. Peter stepped out of the boat, displayed faith. And notice what happens after they get back in the boat. After Peter slips and falls, all this stuff. And Christ picks him up. They walk back to the boat. And it says the others did what? Look in your Bible. The others worshipped. Maybe someone in this room needs to see you step out of the boat. Maybe someone in this room needs to see you take a step of action. You're like, well, how come it's me? Because God's placed you in the position. How come it's me? Because God's equipped you. God's given you that personality. God's equipped you to, to do that work. And the people of God need to see the people of God being faithful and submissive. Today, do you trust in the midst of the dangers that you're walking through? Do you trust when you don't have the answer? Do you trust when, when you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring? When you don't know, when you simply don't know? Do you trust in the Lord or do you trust in you? Do you trust that God's got a plan and His plan's greater than anything that you can fathom? Or do you rely on your wit and your ability? If we live life thinking our checking account will bail us out, we will soon be disappointed. If we live life thinking that somehow we're going to be fine because we're bootstrapped strong, we're soon going to be let down. We have to trust God in the midst of fear, trusting God in the midst of danger, to know that He is who He says He is. He's made the provisions that He's declared He's going to make. And live or die. Christ still rules and reigns. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that your power is limitless. Your ability is, is strong. Father, I thank you for how you've moved and how you've guided our church. God, I pray over our people. If they've never trusted you as, as Savior, then they can't, they can't trust you in the midst of their danger because they don't trust you at all. So God, I pray that today can be the day of salvation. I pray that you will call some from death to life this morning, that your spirit will be that evident in their life. You will give them the boldness to stand up, step out, and say, Jesus has redeemed me. He saved my soul. Lord, I pray that that would be spoken of us today. Lord, for those who have been sitting and you're calling them to action, you've called them to do things, but they're sitting on the sideline afraid, may you give them the boldness to step out and repent for their laziness and their fear and allow the Spirit to guide them to usefulness. God, for those of us who have forsook worship and we're spiritually dry, allow us to repent from that. 
Father, we pray that you would have your will and your way in this invitation. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, if you're sitting here today and you say, Jeff, I just need, I need salvation today. I know I'm lost. I know I'm not a believer. Man, I, and I, need, I need to accept Christ today. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you're at. I, I'm not going to ask you to come down. I'm not going to come beat you down after the service. I just want to pray for you. Anybody here today, Jeff, just pray for me. I've got some decisions to make to follow Christ. If you're here today and you say, Jeff, I, I'm, God's calling me to things. He's calling me to get busy. He's calling me to do things. And I'm sitting here in disobedience and I need to get faithful. I need to surrender and be all that God has for me today. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I'm not going to chase you down. I just want to pray for you. Hands are up all over the room. Is that, is that you? God's calling you to do stuff and you're, you're not doing it. You're, you're hanging on. We want to pray for you. Father, I pray during this invitation time, Lord, I just continue to ask that, that your will be done. You saw the hands that went up, and more so than the hands, you know the hearts who are here. I pray that your will would be done. I ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us this morning?